What's up, military millionaires? Tonight, we have an exciting episode with Rick Jarman, real estate old school. And he was just on the Bigger Pockets podcast, and he and I have been friends and talking on Instagram for a long time. This guy has more experience with real estate investing than probably anybody we've ever had on the show. And he's just awesome. So this is going to be a really good episode. It's a little bit long because we just talked a ton. So maybe you split it into two. I don't know. I'm going to have him back on at some point because it's just such a good episode. The guy's been through everything, including like tornadoes, uh, wiping out half his portfolio, and just some really cool stuff, some really crazy stuff. Makes a ton of money in real estate. And he's just a really genuine, genuine guy. So you're going to really like this episode. Also, this is the first time you will get to hear the new podcast intro music, which was mixed by a friend of mine from high school and intro. So let me know what you think. And if you haven't done so yet, I never actually ask about this and I probably should do a better job of it. I would love it if you guys would subscribe you know, on iTunes or wherever you're listening so that you get notified when the new episode comes out. But also, leave a five-star review. I don't ever ask about that, and I really should, and I am I guess I'm just a bad promoter, so it would mean the world to me, uh, especially since I got my first one-star review, which is hilarious, because the guy was basically saying that we were jerks, because we said, and I know this is audacious, how dare we, we said that if you're not wealthy, it's because you didn't work hard enough, and that... Uh, you should take ownership for things. And apparently he just wanted to believe that it's always someone else's fault. So um, if you think it's always someone else's fault why you don't have money, you're probably not listening to the show. But if you think that you can take responsibility and fix your wealth and fix and learn and improve and educate like I did and like everybody else has done, like my co-host has done, like all these other incredible success stories, and you think that you can take control of your situation, leave us a five-star review and help others hear about this podcast. I love you guys. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. Hey guys, if you're looking to take your investing, business, life, or just yourself to the next level, then I have something for you. The War Room Real Estate Military Mastermind Group is a mastermind group that meets weekly in small groups of five to six people to help you hold yourself accountable and really experience that growth. But we also have a monthly guest speaker that we bring in. And we've had guest speakers that talk about mindfulness, taxes. We're bringing in somebody to talk about marketing. We bring in very specific topics that will adhere to very broad, any any kind of real estate investing or investing or entrepreneurship that you want to do and will really help you out. We let you ask these speakers questions and get very personal with them. And then back to the small groups, weekly accountability for what you're trying to achieve and just being surrounded by like-minded people. And they say your network is your net worth. I know that's an overused phrase, but I recommend that you check it out. So just shoot an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Once again, that's wrmastermind at gmail.com. And we'll send you some more information. What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret, and my co-host, Alex Felice, is... Uh drinking at a bar right now so uh, i forgot to message him this morning and remind him and uh 
I'm going to just say that because I think it's funny that, that well, that's the reason. I mean, that makes sense to me and that seems to make sense to the audience. So that should be relatable to everybody. But we have Rick Jarman on the show tonight, which is awesome because, well, Rick and I have talked back and forth on Instagram now for a little while, probably six months, maybe a little bit more. He is real estate, real estate old school on Instagram. And we've been talking about getting him on the podcast for a little while. And for a while, um, it just hadn't really worked out this and the other I've been slammed, you know, whatever. And finally I heard him on the bigger pockets podcast recently. And I was like, what am I doing? Why have I not had this guy on the podcast? That was an awesome episode. We need to make this happen. And here we are. So Rick, thanks for joining us this evening. And I'm glad to be here. Like I tell folks a lot of times, I'd rather be here with you tonight than in the best jail in Tuscaloosa County. <laughs> I, I'm looking think, forward to it. I think I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your uh, your story and how you got started Ooh. in real estate? Well, I'm 65 years old. That story goes back a long ways. <laughs> uh, I guess to kind of break it down real short, I, my dad was a World War II veteran. had a complete mental breakdown when I was three years old. He was in the VA hospital until I was 15. Back, he, he wasn't able to get service connected. I think they missed it. Probably today we would have known they got it back then. They didn't. He was like maybe six, eight months. We ended up, uh, my mother ended up homeless for about a year. And we, me and her lived with one of my aunts, my, my brother with another aunt. So she realized, you know, back in those days, you, you, the women didn't work and she didn't have a job, didn't even know how to drive. So I, she kind of figured it all out pretty fast. So when she was one tough lady that raised us up to work and instilled in us to work. And so came up real poor, but now don't get me wrong. She, she did all she could do. So anyway, I worked all my life. Uh, but by the time I was between my 11th and 12th grade of high school, I got to do my first construction work. And when I was a boy, there was a subdivision being built behind my house. And I used to love to go over there and watch the guys work. And, you know, back then you didn't have all the nail guns and stuff. They were hammering and cussing and sawing lumber. And I just liked all that excitement. So I tried that construction that summer and I knew then that's what I want to do the rest of my life. So I got out of high school. I got a job uh, in a cabinet shop making minimum wage. He gave me a nickel raise because I got married about three weeks after I went to work for him. And that was 47 years ago, and I'm still married to my wife. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, I went from there to being a carpenter apprentice and got on to University of Alabama in maintenance, worked there for 10 years, remodeled on the side, started flipping, bought three or four rental houses. And about 1984, which would have been 11 years from when I graduated from high school, I Quit my job and uh, decided I was going to build houses. So I got to start doing what I dreamed of doing. And so I was a home builder for 31 years. I quit when I turned 60. That was five years ago. And I just woke up one morning and said, I'm through. And I have people say sometimes, well, don't you miss it? Well, I, I say, yeah, but I get my recliner and it'll pass because this is stressful. You know, I tell them flipping houses is like being on vacation. So, but I've flipped, you know, I've had my own real estate companies all these years since, well, I went full-time, just turned 29. So I've been in, this is all I've ever done all my life. So I guess that's kind of the gist of it. And I still love to work. And we, we have over a hundred and we, we're right at 125 rental houses. My son's worked with me for 20 years and this is all I know. 
That's a, so that, that kind of sums it up. That's about 47 years worth right quick there bridged for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, what are, I mean, it's just cool. So we talked a little bit before and I, I kind of, so I mentioned my father-in-law and he's, he's, he's similar age, but he, he built houses for 20, 30 years. Um, and he built their house and he helped my wife build the, or remodel the house that she owns. And he never, he never got into investing. He, he ended up actually getting into uh, like, cattle farming. He has like 400 head of cattle and a big farm. Um, But I always remember thinking like the house she has, she bought for a steal. She got it absolutely dirt, dirt, dirt cheap. Uh, Someone had OD'd in the front half of the house and they got it for nothing because nobody wanted to live in the house. And then her and her dad and uh, brother-in-law rebuilt it. They remodeled everything, did almost everything themselves. And I just remember thinking, I mean, for one, they did incredible work and everything's done very well. But I just remember thinking like, man, imagine if you were the, if you know, some of these people who do it themselves, but if you'd had 20, 30 years experience building houses from the ground up and then you got into remodeling, that would be like the perfect profession to transition. Uh, I'm curious if that's what what you think. Was it a a smooth transition or is the difference between building a house and flipping a house? Is that a a noticeable difference? Actually, I was remodeling first. I mean, you know, and, and flipped. I bought my first house. Well, that, to back it all the way up, I bought a mobile home right before I graduated from high school because I was engaged to my wife. She's 22 months older than me. And when we first met, I was playing in her brother's band. I, I played six nights a week at the Mod Inn my senior year of high school, so I didn't learn much, but I wasn't there to learn much anyway. But, uh, so she didn't know I was still in high school till it was too late. And I like to tell folks she just kind of <laughs> fell in love, you know, and it was, but I had paid down on a piece of land, owner financing, $500 down. He financed it. I had money because I'd been working all my life. So I put a septic tank in it, you know, in, on the land and water meter and had a trailer come and pay down on the mobile home. And folks back then, I wasn't even 18 when I bought. I was still 17, but I guess they didn't care because I didn't have to have nobody sign with me. But anyway, long story short, they're, they're delivering my mobile home. We'd had practice. You know how when you graduate and your graduation practice, we'd had that day and the same day they were going to live in my mobile home. Well, we're waiting, waiting, me and a couple of my buddies. So we finally ride over to the main highway, see if we could see them coming. When we got there, the mobile home had been destroyed. 18 Willard hit it. and It was all up and down the highway. And they tell me, well, don't worry, we'll have you another one in two weeks. And I'm thinking, well, that's fine, because I'm not getting married to June, you know, and this is in May. About two months later, they finally got me one, so we had to live with my parents. So we got started off rough. So I tell folks, my first real estate experience wasn't good. But then uh, we sold, later on, we sold a mobile home and lot, and we bought our first house at 21. I was 21, 1976, and I remodeled it while we lived in it. It was a little house built right after World War II, about a 700 square foot house. And we so did, I had a first and second mortgage back in those days, you know, I'd assumed an FHA loan and, you know, paid down a second mortgage. I'd borrowed money for a second mortgage. And so we got it cause I didn't have any money. We in it two weeks and the air conditioner goes out, central heating in there and it's hundred degrees in Alabama. We're sleeping in the screened in porch. I mean, it, you know, I'm getting wondering about this real estate, you know, but all this time I'm working for other people and learning my trade. So we sell that one. Anyway, we do that three times in two years. And by the third time we'd moved up to about 1800 square foot brick house. It was almost new an acre of land. And I'm thinking, you know, each time I was 
second one I sold, paid the second mortgage off, went back to the same guy I did the first one. I said, would you be willing to do this again? He said, yeah, you paid me the first time. So by the third house, I'd assumed a seven and a half percent VA loan, which was a good, a yeah. good loan. And seeing back in those days, FHA and VA were fully assumable. Yeah. It was two qualifications. You had to have $45 for the transfer. And if they held a note, a mirror under your nose, you were breathing. <laughs> no credit checks or nothing, you know, if you oh, had man. the equity money. So I bought, assumed that seven and three quarters, seven and a half, whichever it was, VA loan, which was really a good loan. And we stayed there about five years. But uh, that's kind of how we got started. We used to move a lot. Didn't have any money. But on the, by the third one, I'd paid off the second mortgage on the first, second one. I had about $8,000 left over after I paid down on the house. I said, this may work out. This real estate may be all right. So I started piquing my interest. So uh, first off, I want to key in on the fact that you said 7.5% and good loan in the same sentence, which I think for uh, the younger generation, uh, like my peer group in the military right now, who's seeing 2.5, 2.75, you know, I hear people arguing like, oh, I got 2.75. Yeah. I heard someone got a 2.65. And I keep telling people like, that's the best they've ever been. Just it. take it and run with it, right? Buy a 30 fixed and just just own it. Um, but you're saying seven and a half was good. So what, I mean, you've been investing long enough. What kind of, what was like the worst interest rates you ever saw on a loan? I would say the highest I ever paid was on that mobile home. It was 17% because mobile homes were hard to get at the time. But the payment then was still only a hundred something dollars. But the, the worst I've seen, it, you know, I, like I said, I had a real estate company also, and I'm, I was a licensed real estate broker later on, but sold and whatever. And there was a period there that they were running a bond issue for people, and it was 11 and three-quarter fix. And that was the best you could get, and people camped out all night long to get that. Man. But I, I've seen when 12 adjustable was the best we could get for people buying their houses. But I mean, you know, I, I didn't hit the Jimmy Carter years of the 22%, but I was up in the high teens, you know, when I was building and stuff there period. I tell folks I've been through six recessions, four of them since I've been in business. 1973, when I first come out of high school, you know, we had the gas embargo. Yeah. You'd hope you'd have gas, you know, get gas for work the next day. That's the only way I was affected by it. But it went on for about a year and a half. But naturally, 2008 was the worst we'd, you know, we'd ever seen. But we'd learned a lot of lessons in the late 90s. I had kind of got my butt in a bind and had to sell off all my rentals to keep my, keep my business going. But my rentals have always been my salvation. But, you know, you, I went from – I got started, like I said, full-time at 29. By about 32, I was you already know, a millionaire. And by 43, I had to start over and I couldn't, couldn't get a $19 pager in my name. Then good Lord's breast me now, but well, we do all right now. That's all I can say. It's uh, probably yeah. closer about 10 now. So, you know, that's awesome. So one question I have for you is, is where and how did, did you, I mean, so obviously bigger pockets wasn't around, right? And there wasn't right. audio books everywhere and there wasn't podcasts everywhere and it wasn't mainstream. Did you have someone in your life who no, mentioned this? No, I, like just, I said, my dad was like, way? yeah, my trial and error. And that's some things that I had to learn the hard lessons in the nineties, you know, cause nobody, your competition wouldn't tell you anything mm. unless you were like, I was a member of the home builder association. So if we went to something on the national level, 
and you might have a magazine. But when I worked at the university, I worked in maintenance, housing maintenance in the dorms and the rent. I worked there for 10 years. And uh, I'd go to the business library and check out books on real estate and read. And uh, when I started selling and having open houses, there used to be a little book called the Blue Book that it would have amortization schedules in it. Cause you know, when people won't know what the pavement was, you didn't have calculators and everything to sit there and run it. So I, you'd have to do it in this book, but it had a lot of definitions and studies and things you just had to, you had to dig it out. It just yeah. uh, trial and error. And I tell you about my first rental, just what I had to do to get it about it in 1981. I mean, it's kind of hard to, I'll be jumping around because 47 years, there's been a lot of stuff happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's just the fact that you learned everything on your own and, and you've been through so many different variables in the market cycle and everything else. I mean, recessions and everything else, you know, what was, uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to hit on recessions yet, but I'm just, I guess I'm just kind of curious, like, at what point in investing did you realize, like, do you, do you feel like you really got a grasp? Like, was there some point in this while you were learning that you were like, Oh yeah, this yeah. is. Well, I was, when I was putting my wife through college, she was a school teacher for 25 years, had her master's and double certified. I barely got out of high school. You know, yeah. I was, they was glad to get me gone, I think. But when I was putting her through school, I was keeping up some rental property for a man. He had about 40 houses, seemed like at the time. And I was doing other remodeling jobs and stuff. And, you know, I just kind of, in my young mind at the time, you know, I'm thinking, he doesn't have any headaches. I'm the one with the headaches. I'm the one laying up on these things, fixing busted pipes and whatever. But in reality, we know that wasn't so, but it piqued my interest because yeah. I saw how he lived, where he lived. I mean, it's just like when, you know, I told you I got my license in 1983 as a real estate salesman, sold year part-time. Well, when I got ready to go full-time, I wanted to work for somebody that knew how to make money. So there was a man in our town, had a big old house. And like I said, the simple-minded me, I wrote by, I said, you got a big house? He's in real estate. That's who I want to learn from, you know? <laughs> so I sold for that guy for two years and was building for myself. And I'm pretty simple about all, everything, you know. It's, uh, I think a lot of people try to complicate everything today. I mean, all these terminologies and things they use. Now, I didn't know none of that stuff. And I got on Instagram a little over a year ago. They just, uh, Sounds it's like not complicated. Just, yeah. I, my, my friend Alex, who, you know, my co-host or whatever, we, we, we kind of say the same thing every time. Like the running joke between us is uh, real estate's easy. We figured it out and, and, right. and it's, you're right. I think people overcomplicate. I mean, at the end of the day, it seems like you took a very common sense approach and just kind of realized, Hey, if this is, this is working, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing this. Well, you know, I tell folks, I've always, I don't want this to come off wrong, but I've always been fearless because I had nothing to lose. You know, you, when you're improving every step of the way, of course I had obligations. I got married young and then I had, when I, when I went full time in real estate in 1984, I have a daughter who was born in 80 and a son 18 months later. So I had two little kids and, but you know, I just felt like I could do it. And I was raised if uh, we're as good as anybody else, no better. We all put our britches legs on one leg at a time, britches on one leg at a time. And yeah. I just, you know, you might be smarter than me, but I always had the attitude you wouldn't outwork me. 
because I'm definitely not smart. I just find out what I like and what I can do and stuck with it. That's why people ask me, do I do stocks? I said, no, I'm not smart enough, but I know real estate, you know, because, you know, I tell people, everybody's going to rent or buy. You know, you heard me say this, they're going to rent or buy, live under the bridge, and only so many can live under the bridge. Yep. So <laughs> Not that, that, necessarily a desirable place to be. That's right, but that need for housing will always be here. Real estate never changes. It's the financing and things like that, but the need for shelter never changes. I like that. That's a pretty solid way of looking at it. And and it's spot on, right? Like that's right. exactly right. And that's, I mean, that's the whole concept behind everybody wanting to buy mobile home parks right now is that, you know, in, in the worst case scenario, supposedly people will, that's, you know, those will fill. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, there's theories for every, everything, but um, the logic just being people need to live somewhere. If they can't you afford know. to live somewhere nice, they're going to live somewhere. That's it. I've had multifamily and stuff, you know, I've had a, 15 unit, 10 unit, well, 16 unit, 10 unit, five plex. I own three duplexes now, but every, and I have a little commercial, but everything else is single family. And that's why I do C-class single family. I've seen it stand the test of time. It's set, you know, through the worst recession we ever had, my rents wasn't affected. I do a lot of section eight, the checks were coming in. So, you know, it's just a safe way to go. And like I said, I didn't have room for more mistakes because I'd had to start over at 43 and I had to, you know, hunker down and put my tube out back on and start back doing what I was doing when I was 20 for about a year, you know, so, yeah. you know, it'll get you, get your head right. Yeah. I've had some <laughs> section eight tenants and I'm a, I'm a fan. What, I, I guess I, I, I'll, I'll just go ahead and ask. I am curious. You've said you, you've been through four recessions since you've been in business and then six, Correct. but uh, what do you think, like looking forward now, what is, you know, in, in your opinion, is there a, a way to best protect yourself from recession? Like what's a best practice for that mess? You know, it's, I, I think it's single family homes with section eight. I mean, even when the government shut down here, you know, this past year, you know, a couple of times section eight checks kept coming. You know, that, like I said, people, when times get hard, they just not can't sit and say, well, I can't buy and I can't rent. I guess I'm just not going to do anything. Well, no, they got to live somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, you hear all these hard tales right now of, or horror stories of people doing, you know, big apartment complexes going on rent strikes and stuff throughout the country and, you know, in the heart of the COVID, you know. So you don't have that with single family, you know. And, and I found out when I had multifamily, and I, you know, 10 units are down or something. I'm not, we, you know, I'm in a college town, so there's a lot of big units of apartments and stuff here, but I, did, I don't like student rental because, like I said, I, I did housing at the university for 10 years, enough to know that wasn't how I wanted to go. And uh, I don't like, you know, and where I live, there's really not apartments, a lot of apartments in between. It's either students or people rent houses, and I didn't want to be in a grown-up daycare business, so... I just, uh, I just like single family. I found it worked for me and I've always did 15 year loans. I've got tenants have been me 12, 13, 14 years. The record tenant I got has been with me 17 years. Now she's paid for that house and she was in it when I bought it. I asked her the other day, I said, how long have you lived here? She said, 21 years. I mean, so, you know, you just get that longevity also most time with single family. That's so true. to me, it's, it's just a good way to go. 
Yeah, and it, it's simple. It's not overcomplicated. And you're definitely right about Section 8. I've had some of those, and there are definite benefits, especially right now. Um, just, a, just a good model. And, and single family, you know, they, they value differently. There, there's, um, there's definitely some advantages to that for sure. What, what a, I know you've kind of alluded to a few setbacks, so I gotta, I'm just going to go out and ask about the, uh, the tornado story because I, I, I heard you mention it on Bigger Pockets, and uh, I think that's uh, you know, people talk about things going wrong in real estate. Oh, I, yeah. I think that's a, that's a journey. You know, I've had some life lessons. Of course, you know, I had insurance and everything, but what happened in 2011, right after the Great Recession, you know, we're coming out of it. You, you're kind of getting things back rolling. We get hit with a huge tornado. I mean, it's probably the largest one we ever had in the state of Alabama. I lost 26 houses totaled in a commercial building and had damage to probably other 70 more of my houses. I had a $2 million insurance claim. Two million plus, but I did have insurance, but still you had to deal with it, and it doesn't happen overnight, you know. And it was, it was, uh, you know, it was interesting, but it all worked out good. So, but it took a little while to build out because I don't go out of town. No words. I, I do all my investing in Tuscaloosa County. I always have. Most of mine's in two cities, Norport and Tuscaloosa. There's a river separation. We're actually part of uh, Tuscaloosa's on this side of the river, so. You know, it was tough, but I mean, it's, it also gave us some good work because we did all of our own work. You know, mm-hmm. I went out and bought a Bobcat and my Jarman Realty Construction. Uh, my guys, we would do the work for my other companies and get the, you know, insurance pays good on the contractors. So it all, you know, we did all right. I never thought and, about that. That's, that's pretty interesting. So we kind of double dipped, I guess, a little bit, but it was all legal. So I guess it's okay then, see. I mean, you know, someone's got to fix the house. Might as well be you. Oh, yeah. And see what you had to do then, you know, females. And all you had to do was push the houses to the front, you know, of your yard and they'd haul it off. In fact, there's a special that was on national television on one of the channels. I can't remember which one it was. Was talking about it and showing it. And there's a lady, young black lady, is talking about her house. She had a baby in the baby bed and it sucked the sheet up among the baby. She's holding one baby, and the house is spinning like on the Wizard of Oz. And that was my tenant. And uh, when it landed, all that's left is the floor of the house. But we'd have lots that it wouldn't be my house on my land. My house might be on somebody else's. You know, it was it was crazy. Well, I, I've got some pictures on my Instagram just of a few of the houses, and you, you would have thought there'd been a lot more deaths than there were. I only had one fatality. And it was a young lady was scared, was running and fell on her baby. And so it was real sad, but you know, yeah. it was real. It was kind of like, I've never been in a war zone and I know you probably haven't, but it was kind of like when everything is just blown up, like a bomb went off. And right when it happened, I mean, you're smelling the, you know, you know, people that are it, trying to find yeah. people and, you know, save people and, I had tenants that would come, you know, they just won't know what they could do. I didn't have nothing. It was, you know, it, it was real emotional. You know, you do that for two years straight, it works on you. Yeah. But uh, I had one tenant that picked her up and threw her like three city lots down, but she was up in there, broke her leg and all. But I don't, like I said, I had a bunch of them all busted up, but it was scary. 
Yeah, that's not a fun spot to be in. No, you, you know a little bit about tornadoes. So, but I, I tell any of your listeners to go and look that up. 2000, I think it was April 26, 28. I thought I'd never forget that day, but I know it was 2011. Right in the middle of tornado season. Yeah, that's right. You know. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mentioned I I was not born there, but I grew up in Arkansas, and so I've seen. We had this. We were in the. We had the privilege of being in this little tiny valley next to like a little state park. And for whatever reason, there were just right kind of mountain ranges that our little valley likes to always seem to be on warnings for tornadoes. So, I mean, multiple, multiple times throughout childhood, you know, in the bathtub with the mattress over the top <laughs> yeah. of the mat, bathtub, and uh, I mean, we, you know, we've lost people to. We had a family that worked with my. Uh, parents that the house was just you know the the, oh, yeah. the studs are just down and it's just concrete left and it's um in it's fact just, that that storm i actually was driving back up to missouri as fast as i could because i was i was recruiting in missouri so i was home visiting family and i was driving north or i or i was going to be driving north like two hours later i just got this weird feeling that i needed to leave and you know i left and i headed north like, I mean, it was maybe 10 minutes behind me that this tornado came through the highway, just threw a bunch of semis into the trees and leveled a town. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. Well, you know, I could, you'd be trying to find your, because there's no street signs, no trees, buildings, nothing. The whole landscape has changed and you, you're trying to figure out where you are, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty it was different. I don't ever want to go through it again if I can help yeah. it, you know. But uh, like I said, it's it helped save a lot of people in this town that were out of work, you know, like trades that, you know, good came from it. And the the numbers of people killed, it was bad, but it could – I don't see how it wasn't a lot worse, you know. And, yeah. But it put a lot of people back to work, so that part was good, you know. All about that silver lining. And then, and then you bounce back. You said you've got uh, over 100 homes now, right? Yeah. Everything's going great. So that's yeah. We that's had insurance. About. It just took time to you know find them. I didn't build any back because building affordable housing was even tough then, you know. But I have people comment, you know, that I show some of my houses every now now and then on Instagram, and they'll get to ask me about the metal roofs. Well, see, I got new roofs on just about all my houses. Well, I got to compare and cost. You know, if you go and tear off an old roof. And it's three tab shingles. That's just your regular shingles. You know, not the architectural shingles. Yeah. Well, the cost of doing that versus putting metal over the existing roof, you know, put a heavy 30-gauge felt and then put the metal on there was about the same, and you got a lot longer out of that roof. So we went all back metal roofs, and my guys did it. You know, we did them, so double-dipped again, you know. But uh, <laughs> but we got a lot of good metal roofs out of the deal, so. And you think that's the way to go? Well, <laughs> That was a different situation. We were dealing with insurance money, you know, because you, they got a set amount they give you. Yeah. And, and you know, if you're, you know, I've got a couple I've did since then on my houses. I just did regular roofs because it is, it's expensive, you know, but yeah. it's, it's all crazy right now. I mean, lumbers went up and material, building materials went up 60% since April. It's, it's crazy. It's, Everybody thought the is. world was going to fall apart. And so I'm, I'm stationed in San Diego right now. And I mean, we got houses, you know, day one on the market, 10, 12, 15 offers in oh, yeah. over, over asking 10, 20, $30,000 over asking price, because it's like, everybody's so scared that something's going to fall apart that they stop 
listing homes and then like there's this massive supply and demand issue because people still need somewhere to live like you said and it's it's been kind of kind of crazy it's it's very the market is uh, fairly counterintuitive i feel like right yeah, now yeah that's what a, that's about the only thing that's going to slow the market down excuse me is that supply and demand you know people are afraid to sell right now cuz they don't have where to go now if you're being moved somewhere else another state or going to a nursing home older person or it's downsizing but you better have something lined up when you sell. You you may get a lot more for your property, but you got to pay a lot more. Yeah. But, you know, and there are some people paying crazy prices. But there again, if you get to looking at the interest rates and you're spreading it out over 15 to 30 years, you're going to save a lot of money still because you're comparing 2020 interest rate and prices to what's going to be 10, 15 years from now. Yeah. Yes, uh, so I don't know. I yeah, just, how, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with interest rates in the future. I'm still buying. I know that. Going to keep buying. Yeah, well, I've been telling people right now, you know, and I, I am not old enough to claim that I am by any means a market expert, right? I have not been around long enough to know the ins and outs internally, but from just like a logical numbers perspective, like like even if the property drops in value in three years, if you can hold forever and you can lock in two and a half, three, three and a half percent interest on, depending on what kind of property you're buying, as long as you don't sell the property, you can't lose. That's, that's what I was just fixing to say. I had someone ask me on my Instagram, they asked me, you know, they said, why a lot of people are selling, why are you still buying? Well, first of all, I'm a buy and hold and keep, you know, unless I buy it to flip the numbers. You know, I buy some things I know are going to work as a flip because they're not going to fit my numbers as, uh, you know, what I do for rentals. But people don't realize, okay, you've got a rental house. So you've got a rental house out there and it's worth $100,000. Well, if the market goes down and it loses some value or if it goes up and increases in value, if you're not selling, it doesn't really affect you if you're – when you bought that piece of property, if the numbers worked for the rent, they'll work good times, bad times, or whatever. That rent's not likely to go down, you know. And, I, we, and now there's always exceptions, but I'm talking about a good average working class neighborhood type house. So it doesn't really, you know, it may affect your financial statement when you go to the bank if it loses ten thousand in value, or if it goes up ten, but the rent hasn't changed, so it's not affecting you. And that's yeah. what I can't understand. So many people, they can't see that. I mean, I'm thinking, why would I sell? First thing I'd be paying if I didn't do 1031s. And you're going to pay too much to do a 1031 to try to keep paying taxes. So you're willing to pay more than you should pay. <laughs> I mean, it's just so many things. But I understand it's just a lot of people are just looking at it just, you know, they are, you, you don't want to ever count on buying something, count on appreciation. I'm going to throw that in now. I see too many people doing that. Like I said, those numbers have got to work day one. Yep. If they work then, you're okay, more than likely. But, you know, I think people overanalyze everything. You know, they got all these analyzing programs and stuff. I told them the other day on my videos, if I got to analyze, I get a legal pad. I see what I'm paying for it. I see how much the payment is what my taxes and insurance are, how much I want to leave for repairs. If I got a good enough cash flow at the end, it's analyzed. Yep. You buy it. Best time to buy when you can buy it. <laughs> I bought a house in May. I bought a duplex and we closed May 6th. So I, I, the moment COVID happened, I saw this thing pop up on the market and I just immediately knew it was a good price. I didn't, I didn't do anything. And it was funny, like three weeks later, 
about a week before I closed, I was helping a buddy do analysis and I was using the bigger pockets calculator, just kind of walking him through. But we got on the call, it was like five in the morning, four in the morning, my time, something like that. You know, I'm just trying to walk him through, teach him what to do. And he didn't have a property to analyze. He was just trying to learn how to use the system. So I'm like, okay, well, let's just use mine, right? I'm buying this one in a week. We'll just run through it. And I got done with everything. And I was like, oh man, that looks pretty good. He's like, oh, is that better than you ran the numbers the first time? I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't run the numbers the first time. I, I had bought a duplex in that same neighborhood for $5,000 or, or $8,000 less. And this one has garages. So I knew yeah. that that one was going to be a good deal. And he's like, really? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, just, you know, I got a HP 12C app on my phone, you know, but for years, I mean, since really for, since 1984, that's when I discovered one. And I, you know, I go in and I figure my payments and then I look, you know, and everything. And, of course, you know, I know I've did it a bunch of times, you know, but still it's, I had a guy though, that's kind of, he DM me and sent me a thing one day. That's when I first got on Instagram and I try not to, I tell people I don't analyze the deals. I don't know your market. I don't, you know, mm. I don't, I couldn't even tell you about Birmingham's market. I know my market. I, I'm a big believer in learning your market, but I, you know, I'm not going to go study a market. Just to tell you if you're getting a good deal or not. Yeah. I ain't. that's not what I'm here for. I tell my mom, I'm here to share my videos. But anyway, I was kind of intrigued. This guy sent me this stuff. This is on a single-family home. We're not talking about apartments or nothing. He had all these graphs and junk that I'd never even seen. And I'm looking at it, trying to figure it out. I said, well, buddy, best I can tell, I believe it's going to be a little skinny. But since you done bought it, I guess you got to make it work. Well, he hadn't even bought it. And I'm thinking, I ain't never seen nothing like this. I mean, <laughs> just overanalyze. I mean, if the numbers work, buy it. Just then take the figure, income and subtract whatever the expenses yeah. are and ta-da. <laughs> it's not that hard. I mean, you know, they won't make it so hard. And, yeah. uh, you know, but like I said, I, you know, we, you come up like I did. It's just that it all, everything's roses and sunshine because it, it was tough. But, but I'm, you know, I won't tell you a little story if we got time. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, I talking about uh, right when I got out of high school, I knew uh, when that summer I worked, between 11th, 12th grade, I knew I wanted to build houses. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. Never built one, didn't know nothing about it other than that summer. So I go to work right out to high school, first construction job, because I knew I wanted to be in construction. I'm working at that cabinet shop, making minimum wage, $1.60 an hour. He gives me a nickel hour raise because I got married. So I'm making $1.65, big money, you know, putting my <laughs> wife through college. So we're on break one day and I, and I happened to just, cause I'm just 18 years old, just turned 18. I'm sitting there and we we're talking and I said, well, you know, one day I won't build houses and oh, they got the biggest chuckle out of that. And I kind of hurt both big boys feelings. You know what I mean? Cause I was serious, you know, I yeah. just, you know, I didn't have enough sense to keep them thoughts to myself. But like I said, I've always been a goal setter. So fast forward, that was in 1973 Fast forward to 1993, I'm building so many houses that my cabinet man can't keep up. So I had to hire a second cabinet man. So guess who I hired? The man I worked for when I was 18 <laughs> years old. I never said nothing about it, but every time I wrote his check, I just kind of smiled and chuckled myself. So now who's laughing now? <laughs> you know, you never know where life's going to take you. No. I tell folks, uh, the job I had before that summer, uh, I was 16. 
I work with the city of Norport on the garbage truck. Now that, that you, 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 things aren't looking too up for you back. And this is like in the days when they didn't have all the carts and stuff. Yeah. And it was some rough work, you know, and, uh, you just got to realize, you know, if you're willing to do what it takes, you this, this business can take you a long ways. And just to give you some idea, like I said, I don't mean it as a brag. Are you a football fan by chance? Uh, I Somewhat. mean, I, I pay I pay attention every now and okay, then. Okay, college football. You well, you know who Coach Saban is, Alabama yeah. football. Well, he lives three houses up from me. I told my wife, I said, when we moved here six years ago, I said they got doctors and lawyers, they got a football coach. I said now they got a redneck in here. <laughs> I told her, I said I may not be the only one that started out in a mobile home, but I know I'm the only one that worked on the garbage truck. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but I mean, that's what real estate's done for me, you know. It's an ends to a means. And I think uh, it, I joke about it uh, when I talk to people about uh, real estate or entrepreneurship or whatever, but my, my friend Jeff calls it the below minimum wage phase, like BMW phase. And it's real. Like a lot of people just aren't willing to work through that point where you're not making the money, right? It doesn't come right away. And I think that's honestly... I talk a lot about what gives military guys an advantage, but I think that's one of the things is like you're on a salary and you're used to doing kind of ridiculous things like standing a 24 hour duty, like in three weeks, not that this, it's not a, this isn't a gripe, right? Like it's just part of the job, but in three weeks I have a 24 hour duty that, you know, we stand every month or two, whatever. And I got Saturday. So I've like, I get to show up at work at seven 30 Saturday morning and I'm not going to go home until 7.30 or 8 Sunday morning when turnover's done. I'll sleep there if I sleep at all and eat there. And, you know, it's just part of the gig. But I tell people, like, look, if you're looking at getting into real estate, like, military guys have an edge because you're used to doing, like, an extra full 24-hour shift mm-hmm. without getting paid a dime more. So, hey, going to work for four hours for yourself on a side project or looking for a property and not making any money, hey, who cares? At least this is your doing instead of That's your boss's right. doing. You know, you- You know, I used to kind of, it's like a curse to be driven. You know, I used to wish they would, like, I could be like some of the guys I worked with when I worked at university. They could go home, prop their feet up, and then I was going to do work. You know, I'd go do my side jobs. I can remember being so tired one day, I'm looking out the window at a big old oak tree and daydreaming about resting under that tree. Now, you're (laughs) tired when you're like that, you know. But it takes it. You can't. You got to have that hunger and you got, you're not going to get there on 40 hours a week. You know, they may be the exceptions to all rules, but you're just not going to do it, especially starting with nothing. You, you've got to, you know, I hear people say, well, I can't do it. I'm poor. I don't have any money. Well, I was poor. I hear people say, well, I can't do this. I'm not educated. Educates. It's, you know, it's how bad you want it. The first rental house I bought in 1981, I was working with a guy at the university of maintenance. He was getting a divorce. The house was worth $20,000. He was going to sell it for what he owed, $10,000. I didn't have $100 extra to my name. I mean, I've got two kids. I'm working on the side. I mean, you know, I'm just just living life like a lot of people, hand to mouth, you know, because I'm trying to have a nice place and, you know, the, the, yeah. the things you have. Well, I'm, I've got like at this time, this is, a, this is 81. I had like a 1979 Ford Ranger XLT truck. I mean, it's nice, you know, nice truck. Well, I got equity in it. I said, well, I can sell this truck 
So I went and talked to my credit union. I said, look, I found this house I want to buy and get it for 10000 I was telling them about it, you know. They said, well, here's what we'll do. We'll finance the whole 10000 20000 for it. Excuse me. The whole 10000 because it was worth twenty. They said, we'll finance the whole ten, but you got to pay the closing costs, and you got to show us you got the money to repair the house. So I went and sold my truck, got that money. I found a 1969 Plymouth station wagon that had a tailgate folded down like a truck, and I knew I could work out of it. Army green, ugliest thing you ever saw. They were asking $600 for it at this car lot, but it had a $1,200 loan value. So I borrowed an extra $600. So between the amount of when I sold my truck and the $600 I got extra on the car, the Plymouth station wagon, I had enough money to fix the house up. And that's how I got my first rental and did the work myself. Man, that's, yeah. You talk about dedication. That's, and the crazy thing is that you didn't have someone telling you how to do this or why to do this or why this was such a great idea. You just had a feeling that this was, the right thing to do well, what really piqued my interest interest is in the uh, lighter part of 1980 or 81 long about this time i read an, i'm gonna date myself i read an article in reader's digest it was called beating inflation with real estate it had three books listed one's the granddaddy of all real estate books a guy named william nickerson i think it was called I turned $500 into or $1,000 into 5 million. And I actually got to meet him one time. He was an old man when I met him in the, I went to one seminar in my life, one of those big ones like that. And that was in the early nineties and he was still alive. The other book was called Nothing Down by Robert Allen. And uh, the third book was uh, by Albert J. Lowry. And I think it was actually called Beating Inflation with Real Estate. And I got to meet two of those three authors, you know, but I keep those three books today in my bedroom up on a little piece of furniture with a couple of bookends. And, you know, I walk by, I think about it, but my mama, she, she said, what do you want for Christmas? I said, I'd like to get these three books. I mean, I could, I didn't have extra money to buy them three books because I got two kids and, you yeah. know, doing all these things. And she got me them books for Christmas. And that was the first books I ever read on real estate. That's cool. That's a cool story. And I mean, and I mean, obviously it worked out for you, but I think that's, I mean, that's just awesome to show. So I, in a, in a kind of different way, have a similar start to real estate in the fact that although it wasn't intentional, I had to use money from a vehicle to buy, to put my down payment on my first property, uh, more or less because somebody was drunk and decided to park on top of my Harley around the same time I was debating buying a house and I just took the money from that to buy a, to buy a property. But you know, I, I didn't consciously make that decision, but I probably wouldn't have bought that duplex if it hadn't been for something like that coming along where I just happened to have the cash to, to use the loan and buy the property. And I mean, I've, I've said it a couple different times, like I'm just glad that the timing worked out and the stars yeah. aligned because just getting that first property was like complete eye opener. So it's pretty cool that you were that set on doing it. And, and that it, I mean, your first deal sounds like a pretty decent deal. Oh, it was good. That, that little equity. house. I kept it. Look, let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I kept that house forever. I mean, I don't have it now, but I kept it for a long time and I'd refinance it and cash out. I mean, you know, kind of what they call the bird method. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just in the eighties before the bird <laughs> method ever. I didn't know what the bird method was. So I got on <laughs> oh. you know, Instagram, but uh, I, that house had made me more money. 
and, and you don't pay taxes on that borrowed money. And that was once I learned that, you know, my second rental house I bought uh, was owner financing. And I think I'd pay $500 down and see here again, this is my second rental house. I get it. I fix it up. I rent, I get some people coming along. Oh, we got the first month's rent, the security deposit. We ready to move. You know, I learned real quick after these people, a lot of times when somebody's that eager to move, you need to slow down and take a breath, find out why. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know I was green as a cucumber. I had no clue. You didn't have things to go check credit and all that, that yeah. I knew about. So I didn't know check no references, so I rent it to them. They're not in that house six months, and I get a call one night from the lady next door because this is before you had cell phones and everything, of course. And at this time, my wife had been in the hospital having surgery, so I went to work, worked my side job, come checked on her at the hospital, got home, and my mother's helping with the two babies, and I'm just dead tired, so I'm asleep. My phone rings. I answered lady says, mister, if you want to see your house before it burns down, you better get down here fast. And I'm trying to get awake, you know, do what, do what? Cause I mean, 50, 50, which house it is. Cause I only got two <laughs> and, uh, I figure out, you know, who it is. And I get down there and sure enough, it was just boiling. It was burning and they wanted to total it. I found out later that this guy would get to drinking and he would beat on his wife and she had had enough and she just decided to burn him out. Neighbor was telling me this. I said, I don't want to know nothing about it. Cause I done the insurance was going, <laughs> they wanted to tow it. And I said, you know, and I, and back then if it told it, you know, it, it, I, I was better off having the house. I so I had a, I said, I think I can fix it. So I had a friend of mine that had contractor license submit the bid and I did all the work and I remodeled it myself and kept that house for years. I was telling my son the other day, I said, I can tell you my first house. I can tell you my second rental house. I couldn't tell you the third one if I had to. I've tried to think about which one. Because by that time, it was just, you know, they just yeah. started started happening, you know. Yeah, it just happens the, the you, more you, you buy. Get going. The, yeah, it's, that's why everyone says the first deal is the most important. It doesn't have to be a great deal. It, it just has to not bankrupt you, right? And then yeah. as long as you prove the concept to yourself, it's... So, you know, I like to tell people, so look at this. I bought my mobile home. It was destroyed. First house I buy, air conditioning goes on. I ain't got the money for the central heating air, you know, and it's in the middle of summer. But we get it fixed up, fixed ourselves and the money, buy the air, and we sell it. First rental house, that's okay. I'm thinking, ain't going to be nothing to this real estate, you know. Then we had the fire on the second one. Excuse me. So, you know, I've had a few fires on the... So by the time I got to the tornado, I'd already been baptized. You know, I didn't have enough <laughs> stuff happen to me because, you know, you have, it's part of it. If you think you're going to do this business and things not happen, you're wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, absolutely going to take some punches. But I, I'll tell you this. I got a couple more little stories that I like to tell you whenever you, you just got to tell me when you need to talk and I'm talking too much. Cause I guarantee you, I can talk all night, but no, no, I, I, I enjoy lot, it. This is good. A lot of ground I could cover. Uh, my son who just turned 39, he's, he kind of took after like I did. He got out of high school, he got his carpenter, carpenter certificate and then his home builder license. And he's worked with me for 20 years. And when he turned 25, uh, I gave him 25% of Jarman Realty and Construction. But when he was 25, I told my son, if you'll listen to me, I said, in 10 years, I'll make you a millionaire. And, uh, so this was like, it was actually almost 11 years because of the recession. 
I called him in there one day and he don't like me to tell this because he's real quiet. Kind of, he's not like his dad. You know, he's like his mama. I said, son, come here, man. I want to shake your hand. He said, well, what is it, dad? I said, I want to shake a millionaire's hand. He, you know, we were working on our financial statements for the bank and his net worth was like, then was like, this was, he was 36. So I spent three years ago. It was like 1.2 some odd million dollars from he owning for him owning half of 26 houses that we own together. And, uh, you know, his house and things. I mean, he's, he was real thrifty. He drove, he got a new truck when he was right after high school, a, a Toyota Tundra, you know, limited, nice truck. He drove yeah. that truck for 17 years. You don't find people that do that. Now he'd have a nice car for his wife. He'd, he's had Lexuses and Mercedes, but I mean, he drove the same truck. And it's like me, you know, I drive a 2007 Land Cruiser I brought, bought new. And people all the time tell me, say, when are you going to get a new one? I don't have to tell them. I've had a new one sitting out there in the garage for a year. <laughs> I got a 2019 Land Cruiser. But, you know, I, I just, uh, you, I'd rather put it in real estate. You know, yeah. I, I said when I got 65, I was going to buy my one, and I did. I actually bought it at 64 because it's such a good deal. But, you know, I'd rather have the houses making yep. money, you know, it's like my son. I'm talking about with him. We got a bunch of houses down in the teens that he and I bought together. I mean, so there he is in less than, you know, five years, he's going to have some serious money coming in and be a young man. Of course, I'll have the other half coming in. Won't be so young, but I can still spend it. But, uh, it, it's just, it's, the the biggest, not the biggest, let me slow my brain down here. A question I probably get asked more than any other question is, how many houses do you have to have before you could quit work? Well, that That's not the question. You don't want to quit. You know, if you think you can go sit in the sand, stick your toes in the sand, <laughs> and wait on the money to roll in. I did a video the other day. You know, I got almost 500 videos on my channel. On this, yeah. And I try to do... For a while, I was doing one every day. I'm down to about five a week. I had a tree fall on the house. Now, whether I was managing it or somebody else, we manage our own property. You don't think if you were having a property management, managing your property, they're going to call you and say, look, a big old tree just fell on your house. We fixed have to get this tree off, get some prices. You got to fix your house back. Have you got some money? Because, you know, they, they're not going to pay for it out of their money and think you, they're going to finance it for you for about two years. You know, there's nothing passive about this business. Yeah. Now you can be less involved than you want to be, but to still, you got to pay insurance taxes. And when the more, when the uh, when the management company calls and say, you ain't got enough money, you better be able to come up with the money. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I had a question for you. I just, I remember you saying this earlier on, uh, 15 year mortgages, right? That's your, right. do you still, even with low interest rates, is that? Still do 15 year mortgage. Why do you prefer 15? Well, when I started out, that was kind of the thing. And it's always worked. I've only time I've did, I've had five houses over that period of time that I didn't do 15 year loans. Well, actually four. And I'd actually built them prior to the recession of 2008 to say, I tried to, was trying to build some affordable housing. And, you know, cause I was building a subdivision, but I would try, you know, I was going to try to build some and just, you always looking way to get a little more of a market, mm -hmm. you know, cause when the recession hit, I just bought a million four worth of 
building lots because I'd buy a whole subdivision, go and put my plans on it and pick everything out. You know, I didn't, I hadn't did custom since 98. That's speculative, you know, where you do it like that. And then if they come looking at during the construction, you know, they pick their colors and whatever. But anyway, we had to work through that, but that wasn't no biggie. So I'd built these smaller houses, going to try to sell them, you know, just make a good little lick, you know, just trying to build some affordable housing because, you know, rates was higher. People were having a hard time. You know, you've always got to be trying to figure out a way to keep making money. Well, then the recession hit and they didn't sell. So I turned them into rentals. So I had to set them up over 20 years to make the numbers work. Mm. And to this day, I still have uh, three of them. And I sold one here a while back because it got so valuable where it was to keep it as a six and eight rental. I, I, you know, I, I just sold it. But that's the only time I've ever did 20-year mortgages. And, you know, got to realize maybe it's not that much difference right now when the rates are as low as they are, 15 and a 30, you say, well, it's only two and a half or whatever. But see, most of the time on a commercial loan, you don't get a fixed 30-year loan, you know. And, I, you know, I hear everybody talks about two, three K loans and this loan, that loan. That's like one house here, one house there. If you're going to grow your portfolio, you got to deal with you got to deal with banks, you know, yep. and whatever. Even credit unions usually limit you to four. But I hear people say, well, banks only do 10 houses. No, uh, I got one loan that started out with 53 houses on 54. And I sold, uh, it's got 46 on it now. I paid 500000 down. And this is about an eight-year-old loan. When I refinanced with that time for what it was, and I financed a million five fifty, and it's paid down a little less than seven hundred thousand. And I've got houses in there worth a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So I'm down to like in seventeen thousand per house, basically. You know, it's forty-six houses. I told my wife the other day it's like a twelve thousand dollar a month payment. I said, "You realize in about, I guess, six years." I said, five, six years, we're going to get a $12,000 a month raise. And, of course, she wasn't really – but I think what I'm going to do is pull out 10 houses and take and set them up again on the 15-year loan and let – it because there's still cash flow yeah. really good. And the payment would be – I think I figured the payment, it was going to be less than $5,000, you know, maybe 4000 something, whatever, on six fifty, six hundred fifty thousand, whatever, for 15 years. Take out 10, 8, whatever it takes to make the numbers work, and those other 30-something are free and clear. Mm. And I have other free and clear property, but, I mean, that's just getting that many more free and clear. Yeah, just working the and numbers. And the tenants are paying it, you know. Yeah, working the numbers to get a lot more cash flow out of it. That's that's cool. That's a cool spot to be in. And I I like 15-year. Um, you know, I mean, I haven't actually executed a 15. Well, no, that's not true. So I have a 10-unit. And I bought the 10 unit that uh, it was like, I think it was an 18 year when I bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I refinanced 18 months later and uh, I'm going to kick myself. I can't remember if it's a 15 or a 16 year now, but I, I basically took out just enough to pay off the seller financing that I got on it and say, okay, cool. Now I don't owe anyone but the That's bank. It. And I dropped the payment by like 200 bucks, but I, I didn't take a bunch of cash out. I just cut That's the years right. off. And so I got this thing's got 14 or 15 years left on it, but it's, It'll cash flow another two grand a month once it's paid off. So, well, when I had refinanced these, I'd bought out a partner that it's in 2008. So that's been 11 years ago. So, uh, 
I bought him out, and that was about two years later I refinanced. So yeah, that's about right. I had 15, so I don't have many more years left on them. Yeah. But so how old are you, uh, Dave, if you don't mind me asking? 30. So you're 30. Well, just think about this. If everything you bought this year, next year, you did 15-year loans, you're going to be 45 years old when they pay for If you yeah. don't, you're going to be 60 years old. Yeah. And valid. that payment doesn't go down just because your equities are going up your payments the same and if yep. the rates change it could go up or down and so that's the sweet thing about 15 years yeah that's or awesome. you'd be like my son you know yeah that's really cool all right so i got two questions that i always ask everyone and okay. uh and uh so the first one is if you were to run into uh 18 year old 19 year old and they were to ask you for advice and you only had like two or three minutes what would be like what's the one lesson that you wish they knew Myself at 18 or somebody else? Either way. I've, I, I guess it could be either one. Now let's, let's do someone, someone now. If you ran into me someone and now. I was 18 right now. And, and you're wanting to get into real estate. Yeah. Or what I, just what would I tell you is what you're yeah. saying. I would say invest in real estate. Start working that way. Learning the markets. Learning financing. And I would, you know, I have people come in and try to sell me stocks and stuff all the time, which I have nothing against stocks. Like I said, I'm just not smart enough. I don't know anything about it. Don't want to know it. But there'll be a young stock salesman come in, you know, and the time I get through telling them, I get to tell them, can you do this for me with your stocks? Because, you know, real estate's leverage. You can leverage it. You know, you can be flipping houses, leverage it. You can be buying rental property and leverage it. And when I get to tell them what I'm making on a rental house or a house I'm buying to flip, they forget about the stocks. They won't talk about more real estate. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's everybody loves real estate. So I guess to answer your question. I would, I used to call it when I worked at the university and I, like I said, I was in my early twenties when I got started. Uh, you know, I left in 84, I was 29. So I was probably 25 years old. I used to call it the miracle of real estate. I mean, you buy a piece of property Somebody else is paying for it for you on rental property. You're using leverage you get in it, very limited amount of money down, and there's ways to do it. Especially back then, if you if you structure it right, here you are. The government's telling you in 27 and a half years it's going to be wore out, but in reality it's going to be more valuable, you know, because you get to depreciate it out over 27 and a half years what you pay for it. I mean, it's like a license to steal. I mean, it's the best. I just, I mean, I love it. I, I just think it's the best thing in the world. So I would get, I would try to turn them on to real estate, the miracle of real estate. I like it. And the second question is, what is one resource, a uh, book, course, website, whatever, that you would recommend to anybody who's looking to get started as a real estate investor? Ooh, uh, you know, you, you probably heard what I told them on the podcast. So, uh, <laughs> bigger pockets. I told him go read the bird medic because I like the bird. But I told David, I told him I bought it. David uh, Green, and he wrote the book, and I said, but you know, I hadn't read it yet, David. But <laughs> I figured I better read it since I'm all the time recommending it to people. <laughs> and so, I've heard him talk about it enough that I think it's okay book to recommend. But I hadn't read it yet. But yeah. you know, people say, what real estate books are you reading? But you know, I was two months shy of 64 years old when I got on Instagram. Knew nothing about it. Like I told you earlier, I didn't know what a podcast was a year and a half ago. Yep. And, uh, and like I told you, I'm a goal setter. When I got on here, got, you know, I set my goal. I told my son, I'm going to be on Bigger Pockets podcast one day. And that was one of my goals. And 
And and uh, a month ago, I made that go. It come true. So, you yeah. know, I just I'm a big believer in still to this day setting the goals. And uh, so, you know, I've been learning all this stuff. I've got a 16 year old granddaughter could show me half his stuff if I could slow her down, but you can't get him to do it. So she's a cheerleader and dance all this stuff. So I get on YouTube and I study stuff and, uh, you know, it's, it's been a wild ride. I mean, like I said, I just started about 13 months on Instagram. And, uh, I think today right now I'm at like 19,800 something followers and it's uh, bigger than mine in less time. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good Instagram. Well, I mean, I just, uh, I'm just amazed at, the folks won't listen to this old fat man talk about, you know, the real estate, but <laughs> I just try to keep it real. And like I tell them, I, you know, in bigger pockets, they asked me, said, well, what can the people out there do? We can tell them to help you. I said, well, I don't want anything. Just go follow me on Instagram. You know, yep. I mean, I told them I'm going to write a book when I do, then I'm going to want everybody to buy it, you know, but I'm not trying to sell anything on it. And, uh, so it's kind of a good feeling to be able to, I, I, I share with my wife sometimes uh, some of the messages I get from people and I know I'm making an impact because they tell me, and that means a lot, you know, it's, uh, you, and you probably get that too. Like, you know, somebody, you tell them what they need to do and they listen to you. I have one guy, he's a pastor over in Missouri in Ozarks. Oh, I got a video. Right around the corner from me. Yeah. Well, I got a video where I talk about always check the square footage on a piece of property when you're buying it. Don't listen to what the real estate agent says. Don't go by what the courthouse says. You measure it yourself. And I talk about how to do it in that, you know, in that video. Well, he was fixing by a rental house, another rental house, and it was wrong. And they were charging more than what the square footage was. He saved $20,000. He said, I told him, I said, well, man, that ought to be worth a box of good cigars anyway, you know? <laughs> so he sent me a box of cigars. So. That's awesome. That's cool. But, and and you're right. Yeah, it's it's good to be able to help people out with stuff like that. And I can vouch, I have read The Burr Method, uh, and, and it is a well-written book and does a good job of explaining the the concept. So, Well, you know, I've always used it because I was always leveraging because I didn't have money. And that's, you know, like it, Leverage used right is a, is a powerful tool. It's it's hard to beat. Agreed. But uh, but yeah, and and there's one more book that I would recommend if you're somebody starting out. That and it's almost like a textbook. I, the first podcast I was ever on was uh, New American Dream podcast, I think, with George. Uh, my mind's gone blank. What George's last name is now. But George got the way he'd call me about deals or something, you know, and we just kind of, I've made so many friends since I've been on here. But anyway, I was telling him about this book and he, uh, he said, man, he went and looked it up. It was $80. I said, well, man, I bought it, you know, a long time ago, <laughs> but there's a guy named Trammell Crow. It's called Trammell Crow Master Builder. And that's not about building. You would think it did that, but he was a Navy man in World War II, got out and he was an accountant or whatever. And, he got, you know, building warehouses and real estate, a lot of commercial stuff. He was like one of the early guys that brought, uh, you know, where you take, uh, like when uh, up north, you know, they, New York, they have with the markets and stuff. You know, he had the markets in Texas. He started that concept with the big A-trims and all that stuff. 
but he had companies like Trammell Crow Properties, Lincoln Properties, but he worked with a lot of partners. And, and when I was regrouping, you know, like I was telling you in the late nineties, I wouldn't being able to borrow millions of dollars and I couldn't get a $19 page of my name, but there were people knew I knew how to make money and I did everybody right, took care of all my, you know, debt. And uh, so those people I worked with, lawyers, accountants would be my partners and private money lenders too. Yeah. But some of them would literally set up companies. I got one guy's appraiser. I've been doing business in 20 something years. But anyway, in this book, he talks about how he worked with the partners. And, and I've got a couple of videos explaining how I used to work with partners, how, you know, they'd bring the money. I'd be the talent and, you know, we'd take all costs off. They'd get paid for the money just like we were paying the bank, but they didn't get the interest to the end. So if the bank was charging 6%, the partner would get 6% on their money. They'd be wearing two hats. One hat, they'd be half owner in the company. The other hat, they were the bank, you know. So they'd get that money. Then they'd get half of the net profit, yeah. which was a sweet deal. And, and all of them always made money. But he showed how he had all these different partners, and he's in the centers like a spider web. And he's working with all these partners, but it'd be like, say if me and you did something and me and somebody else and me, your, your deal doesn't have nothing to do with their deal. You know, it's all these different companies and that's how I come back, you know? And I had a couple of guys that said, well, I guess now that you, you don't need us, we won't do no more deals. I said, no, man, you was there, you know, cause what I was able to do, especially in a lot of the building, if I had a partner I'm building on a subdivision or whatever, my money, since I wasn't having to foot the everyday costs, you know, of paying men and everything, when we sold something, I could take my money and put it into rental property, see, because I didn't have to worry about holding money back for that. Because, you know, if you're building, buying lots, buying rentals, the bank's only going to loan you so much. Yeah. So uh, that was a tool I used to do things to kind of speed up the process. Cause like I said, it's a lot easier second time around cause you're a lot smarter and you know a lot more. <laughs> it makes sense. Oh man. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff to unpack in here. And I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm all, like no, I said, this, for, is, this is a great episode. 47 uh, years is a lot of things to talk about. No. And this is, uh, this is why people like your, uh, your Instagram because it's, it's full of nothing but value. You're not selling a bunch of stuff. I will buy your book when you come out with it, oh, but, thank you. uh, but you've got just a lot of great stories, great information and, and you're genuine, right? It's not, you're not trying to push an agenda. You're not trying to push a uh, product. You're not trying to, it's just helping people out and it shows. And that's why people like it. Well, I, and literally I've gotten why I tell them in a lot of my videos, I don't want your money. I, you know, I don't want it. You know, if I give me some t-shirts or coffee mugs or a book, I'm going to sell it. But I mean, I'm having a big time. I mean, this has helped me this past year. And so, cause like I said, when I first retired from building, you know, I'm thinking, well, I'm just not going to, you know, do much, just collect or, you know, stay at to work with the, you know, I don't even do the day to day at the office. I don't even have to go in, but I like to, cause I'm a control freak. So, but I'll go and spend a little time, you know, but I, after about a year or two, you know, we, you know, I think we started back flipping big. I say big, we try to do 12 a year. That's, you know, that's, if I don't make enough money through flipping houses, say I've got an office manager that's been with me nine years, almost 10. My son's salary, he's been with me 20 years. I've got a maintenance man that's been with me 16 years, uh, 15 years. And then I got a real estate agent that's been with me 16 years. 
So, of course, she, her money, you know, is commissioned, so I don't have to pay her. Just I get, The company gets 30% of whatever she sells, you know, commission-wise, so it helps the company. But if we don't generate enough money to pay all these salaries and overhead, it has to come out of my rentals, and I don't like that. I have to loan it to the company. So, yeah. we, so that's why we keep flipping, you know. I mean, sometimes my county tell me, sometimes you all just do this, let some master manager go. Well, that, that's not what I built it for. I, my son's got, he's been in it 20 years with me, and I'm buying and stuff now for my grandkids and kids. And I mean, you know, I've got to enjoy doing it. You know what I'm saying? It's been a lot of fun. I, I, I thrive on it. But I guess I kind of got sidetracked as I can do. It's hard to pull back. So by me having Instagram and I've been studying the stuff and face, I mean, a YouTube, you know, just trying to see how to, I know people think, well, he just, just did this and his Instagram grown. No, I've, I've studied it, you know, read about it, find it, just everything I can find out about it. And I haven't been reading real estate books because I mean, don't take it wrong, but I just ain't seen a lot of them and it had him meeting them, but I need to read, you know, <laughs> I, I don't mean that in a bad way. Oh, I mean, you've got experience. Well, I mean, like I said, real estate doesn't change. It's just the biggest thing me's been learning all these terminologies and stuff. In fact, the other day, somebody, you know, for a long time, I hit about 10,000 people. Every time somebody followed me, I'd say, thank you for the follow if it wasn't a private account. Yeah. I, look, I could look back and tell you of the date you started following me. I'd follow you just by that very reason. I, I do that sometimes, you know. Yeah. Well, the guy says, I can't believe you asked me back, says, I, is this a bot? And I'm thinking a bot, what the hell is he talking about? And I said, buddy, I don't know what you're talking about. He says a robot. And I said, Oh, Oh, you know, I mean, but all these abbreviations and stuff, I, I don't even know what half of them mean. I've had to learn that. <laughs> I, I get that message every now and then I, I kind of do something similar. I send a uh, welcome aboard. This is a little bit about me whenever someone follows me. And sometimes people say the same thing or they get mad. They think I'm trying to spam. And I'm like, oh, just, just introducing myself. Like you don't get that message unless you follow me. So it's not very spammy. You have to follow me. <laughs> well, you know, that's why I told you we was talking earlier. I didn't like about TikTok, you know, because I, I really, I wasn't free to really talk about real estate because, you know, you get to stuff like the haters, you know, I call, like I told you, I call them gangsters behind the keyboard coming on landlords of slime or landlords of scum. And, you know, and I want, and I can't deal with stuff like that. I'm mm. old school now, man. You going to talk about me. I won't be able to reach out and let's talk about it. <laughs> so I just finally said one day, I'm just, I, I told my, I did it twice. First time I cut it off. My daughter, granddaughter says, you don't need to do that pop. You got, you know, cause I had like almost, uh, I had 8,000 something followers and, 40 something thousand likes. I even had one, uh, one of them that went over a hundred thousand views, you know? And, uh, but I told him, no, I, if I can't talk and do about the things I want to do and enjoy it, cause I don't need something making my blood pressure going up, mm. uh, pissing me off or yep. ticking me off. I'm sorry about that. Oh. But, uh, you know, so, but I, I, you know, they started the reels now, you know, on Instagram. So, I've did three of them and it's kind of going pretty good. I, I, yeah. I, I kind of enjoyed that. Show them a little different side, you know? Yeah. My, my first reels video got like 30,000 views and oh came, yeah, you know, it's like, Oh man, I need to do more of these. That's it. I, one of mine, I, I did them. A, I kind of did almost like a rap, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's just more or less like a poem type thing, you know, but, 
people were saying, oh, man, you're doing bars. I'm thinking, what's bars? I didn't know what all that meant. Somebody had to tell me, you know. Or, you know, they called me goat. I didn't know what that was. I had to ask Siri what the goat mean, you know. But they'll call me OG, and I didn't know what OG meant, you know. And it's just, it's been a heck of a ride. Oh, I mean, man. I just, I love my followers, man. I just love them. Well, that's too funny. Well, I appreciate it. All right. So, uh, I do, I do think we need to, we're going to have to cut this off eventually because none of my followers are going to, we're going to end up with a two hour episode. <laughs> I have to do like a two part. There you go. Just have me back. Oh, yeah. Sometime. We can, yeah. I was going to say, we'll have to do that for sure. So, uh, just let everyone know real quick the name of your Instagram account and where to, okay. where to follow you. Is there anywhere else you want people to follow you? Guys? I actually have a YouTube channel right, right now. A lot of it's the same stuff that I just, uh, put up but people tend to like it too you know it's different different people a lot of times so both of my accounts at my youtube is uh real estate old school and my instagram is real estate old school perfect and i will absolutely tag that down in the show notes and and share it and tag you in it obviously when everything goes live um and I'll, I'll probably i'll have to tag you on on youtube as well just so you can we can see it there so um, yeah I, I need to you know get some more subscribers there, you know, so I, I've got the numbers now to start getting monetized, you mm. know, I don't care if it's enough, but just buy a hamburger, I'll take it, <laughs> but I got to get yeah. a little more listening hours, you know, but, uh, but you know, it's, uh, and I'm not doing it for the money, but it's like anything else. It's, it's like playing poker. If you win, you get a little money. If I can make a little money doing it, I'll be smiling. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I found that for myself, I, I started outsourcing a lot of my stuff to an editor. And uh, so I'm making money on YouTube, but I'm paying the editor. It's like every month I pay the editor basically whatever I make of like, I just put out more videos. And I'm like, eventually the YouTube will make enough money that I can pay the editor and still keep some. But for now, I'm like, oh, I could edit this video myself. I'll have him do it. And then it saves well, me time. So yeah, this will take five minutes to take this. When I first, like I said, I, my son introduced me to the podcast, the Bigger Pockets. First podcast I ever heard about. I didn't even know what one was. So after as I stayed up one night, you know, well, I tell this for they cut this out of the podcast for David Green. I'm won't. trying to figure out how do you get on here? Well, how do you contact him? I didn't know. I mean, I'm green. So I get the thing. I said, Well, that David Green, green and green, I guess, but that David Green. He's a real estate agent. His number's out there somewhere. So I go online, I find his number. And I start calling, leaving messages, texting. And I guess he figures this fool ain't going to go away. So he sends me a message, go on there, you know, uh, on their website, and there's something you fill out. So, boy, I got my iPad. I stay at one night to 1 o'clock filling it all out. Then I think I lost it. So I get next morning, do it again. So I leave a message on. I said, look, you may have two of these on from me. You pick out the one you like best, and that's the one we'll go with. But when I was talking about how I got that number, you are seeing David's eyes. He, they, you know, uh, Brandon was kidding. He says, yeah, man, everybody's going to know how to get up with you now, you know. <laughs> so they cut that out. <laughs> so so I started. Funny. I said, okay, you know, I didn't hear nothing. Because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I think I sent them my stuff, and they'd be ready to have me on the show, you know. <laughs> Because I'm I'm positive thinker. Yeah. Well, I didn't hear nothing. I said, well, by God, I'll just start my own podcast. So I ordered me a mic and got on YouTube and studied and got a garage band. And, and I'd already had everything set up, bought me some music for intro and extra, you know. And I couldn't find nobody's going to have to have a website. I don't even have a website. 
<laughs> to this day, I don't have one. And I was trying, of course, I was cheap. So I didn't want to pay much to someone wrong, so I couldn't find get a website. So I said, it's too much trouble. I ain't going to do this. I'll just see about starting a YouTube page. So I go on there and read about that, and I start my YouTube page. Well, it wasn't taking off. I said, well, heck, I must not have nothing anybody wants to hear. That's when they said, well, why don't you try Instagram? I said, Instagram? I said, ain't that Facebook for young folks? They said, well, you need to try it. So I did. I set up my Instagram, and I actually started out calling it real estate investing. I see, uh, yeah, real estate investing. No, real estate investing made real. Mm. And then, I, you know, I'm thinking, hey, ain't nobody want to hear what I got to say. I said, I'm going to change the real estate investing old school, you know. And then I just shortened it to real estate old school. So some of my older videos are still called real estate investing old school. That's funny. Yeah, well, your channel's doing great, and everybody loves it. So, well, uh, that's, that's it. That's, that's pretty much uh, that's a pretty good hit on the forty-seven years. And there's a lot more things we'll have to talk about another time. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Rick, thank you very much for joining us this evening. This has been a, a lot of fun. Some good stories, some good wisdom, and uh, obviously a lot of value for everybody who's going to listen to this. Well, I appreciate it, man. And uh, y'all come follow me on Instagram. And David, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. And yeah, everybody, you should go follow him. His channel's awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Military Millionaire Podcast. Alex and I really, really appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks for helping build this community to be the biggest and best military, real estate, entrepreneurship, personal finance community in the world. That sounds cool. But look, check it out. We really, really appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, please go ahead and do that and leave us a review on uh, iTunes or whatever platform you use. If you think we're worth reviewing, we prefer five star over one star, but have a great day.